Ipsons the ninth judge, the tenth one is Elon. We don't know a lot about him. It's a singular sentence. Other than there was no oppression mentioned and he judged Israel for 10 years. But then it moves to Abdon. Abdon had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. It's as if moving up to the time period of Shimshon or Samson, God was working to use sons and daughters sowed into the tribes of Israel to bring unity so that Samson could be born to deliver Israel. And you know that the angel met with Samson's parents and they had a good response. Please show us how to raise the boy. And it didn't, didn't go as well as we would have liked. But in an odd sort of way, Ibsen is one of the real bright spots in the whole book of Judges. And that's why we wanted to focus on that. So Pastor Matthew is going to pick us back up in Judges 12. Look, I, can I just give a shout out to somebody right now? You want to see what Ibsen looks like? Do y'all remember the last couple years? Spencer? (laughs) Spencer walked around here joyful in the Lord. But like something was missing from his life. Miss Randy had this whole stable full of little stallion children. They were all over the place, directionless. I mean, I love them, they were cute, but they were bad. (laughs) Examine them today. Something so special happens when we recognize the day of our appointment and we invest in other people and we exalt their future above our present. Everyone turn to Judges 12, and as you turn, say future kings. We're going to pick up in verse 8. After him, Ibsen of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave in marriage outside his clan. And 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. So as we've been talking about the context and the timing of Ibzan, particularly in relation to Jephthah, it's in opposition to what was happening in Jephthah's life. You guys are, are Bible students. You know that during the times of the judges, as Pastor Eric just said, there was no king. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Boy, that's a perfect condition to make good decisions in. No, no, it's horrible. In fact, in Jephthah's case, you know that Jephthah was anointed? You know that Jephthah was spirit-filled? And there's one other accolade given to Jephthah? He was stupid. (laughs) Massively stupid. And much like us, he was a man who had victorious moments of obedience and conquering in the name of God. 
in those victorious moments as a judge of Israel, that's what we see in his life where he chose to sacrifice the future for the present or what he did with his daughter. So if you're like me, you're asking the question, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do exactly what we saw Ibsen do. We're going to choose to sacrifice in the present for the future. No cost is too high for the future kings and generations that will continue our work and redeem any time that was lost in the past. In fact, the times of Ibsen were divinely led means to fixing, repairing, redeeming, and restoring the mistakes of previous generations. And we are going to invest our very best into the future. We're not going to have a three-legged lamb given to the altar of God. No blemished ox with half a hoof. We're going to give our all, and that all will be our very best to our king. Namely, what that will be is our ability to raise up and send out righteous offspring from our homes to establish more righteous homes. Amen. Matthew and I might know just a little something about sowing our own daughters into other households, in other ministries, and into the nations. That's right. Like Ibsen, we raise our sons and daughters to secure the future by the present investment in the inheritance God has placed us in. Church, never forsake the small and humble beginnings. For I myself, Shavai was that place. But I do not despise it. Why? Because that is where David and Julia, they met in 2019. And from the very inception of that relationship, God began to breathe into it. He began to build and to secure their future through that relationship. And how did he do that? By bringing the nations together. He brought the U.S. with Venezuela. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. Why? Because I'm standing in Peru and the Lord is doing something through the nation of Venezuela. With that thought, I want you to understand that where God places us, it is our inheritance for the future. It is not a coincidence that the Lord has brought our daughter from the U.S. and David, a future king of this house, into Peru to accept the inheritance at which they were given. Three nations, one marriage. That's pretty awesome. Amen. Can I tell you, church, that the present sacrifice today is for their future? I did this with one daughter. Ibsen did it with 30. Yeah. David and Julia have some work to do. <laughs> David, if you're watching, remember, the sixth irreducible minimum for us is to multiply. <laughs> See, when I received the irreducible minimums, there was only five. But that's OG. Well, well, we don't have a sixth irreducible minimum. The first chapter of the Bible does say this. Amen. <laughs> So Ibsen gave 30 daughters in marriage and also received 30 daughters for his sons. That through both sons and daughters, one vision would be accomplished. 
Church, did you hear that? Through sons and daughters, one vision would be accomplished. This reminds me of Italy and Romania. Sons and daughters, but only one vision. I have already sown my daughter into the nations. Now I get the privilege to continue to do this for the generations to come with the future kings. I haven't done what these guys have done yet. All of my experience has been in raising sons and sending them out. I admire them. I'm watching them. But the truth is, is I will not know the depths of their joy and pain and struggle until we're together here on Sunday. <laughs> this is about a lot more than our physical offspring. In fact, I'd like to share with you a commentary on Numbers 3. I've done this before, but I want you to hear it. If you don't like the Talmud, that's okay. There's parts of the Talmud I don't like to. It's not inspired. It's just good, like better than a lot of commentaries. I don't know any of you that think your commentaries inspired, although there are people that treat them that way. The commentary on Numbers 3 speaks about the offspring of Moses and Aaron. And it says, Rabbi Shmuel says to Rabbi Yohanan, anyone who wants to teach another person's son Torah, the verse ascribes him credit as if he sired him. As it is stated in Numbers 3.1. Now these are the generations of Aaron and Moses. And it is written immediately afterward. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab, the Firstborn, uh, Baihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But it does not mention the names of Moses' children. This serves to say to you that Aaron sired his children, but Moses taught them Torah. Therefore, the children were also called by his name. This is the singular best way that we can reverse the Jephthah scenario. The times of Ibsan are upon us. What we do in this present time We'll secure the future. And we make sons and daughters by teaching them the word of God. By fathering them in the word of God. See, when you're not engaged in hand-to-hand -hand battle with the enemy physically, you should be multiplying those who will secure the freedom of God's people in our future. Amen. Do you want to secure the future of the kingdom? Yes. Well, it'll take sacrifice in this present for that future. Sometimes that sacrifice is loving somebody who's kind of unlovable. Seeing what they will become because God says they will become. Fighting to have faith for them when they do not have faith enough for themselves. Ibsan is a father of a target. We have to know what the target is. And we have to sacrifice so that they hit the target. Amen? Amen. Amen. For me, that target is Peru. And the way we get there is through my son, David. Now, David is not my son physically. It is through marriage. 
And it is also through the last four years of me teaching him the Torah. He has become my son, one that I am very proud of, a son that is becoming a king, a king for the future. And in the same way, Alexander, he is also becoming a scholar in the Torah. For what reason? To secure the freedom of God's people, namely his daughter Ava, because she is our future as well. Do you guys recall how Pastor Eric said, if son means father of a target? I'm thinking back to what God has done in my life to give me sons. But I'm going to start with what he did give me physically, and that's four daughters. You know, as we were successively having children, and we would find out the the gender of the next one, <laughs> the question would always arise inside my own heart and inside of others. So, are you going to try for a boy? What does that mean, by the way? Like, like I had anything to do with that. Yeah, I mean, like it's up to you. Something, but not necessarily that determination. I heard there are a few techniques. Huh? You've been talking to Pastor Lamb. <laughs> yeah, all you guys talk to him afterwards. But here's what began to happen. I just want to preface something before I begin on this, this track. We're a family. And as a family, we have family conversations. And what's involved in family conversations is a wide variety of emotions. So I am full of joy, and there may be a moment of shedding a tear or two, and it's perfectly fine. I'm still a man if I do. So in that process of people asking me and me asking myself, are you going to try for a boy, it caused me to get on my face before God and begin to learn how to be a father of the target. And as I cried out to the Lord, I'm asking him that plain question. Lord, do I try again? Or not by myself, me and my wife. <laughs> do we try again to have a son? And when we arrived to number four, which landed on Emmy over there, the Lord said, your quiver is full. Remember we said, if son means father of a target. So I, I began to wonder, all right, so what about this desire for a son? And as a father speaks to a son in a direct, firm, and yet affirming manner, the Lord spoke to me something. He said, I'll give you more sons than you could ever have with your physical body. Do not limit yourself to what you alone in your own strength can produce. I'll give you more than you can count. That starts with a gem and treasure of a daughter, my firstborn, Natalie. She's standing right back there holding my grandson, Apollos. She was a gift to our family. And she became a gift to a great man, a God named Gabe Sutherland. Gabe Sutherland, I've known since he was in the womb. 
I watched him grow up from birth. And this entire time, I had no idea that he was going to become a son to me through the means of impartation of Torah. And my, how much of a treasure that man has been to me and my family. It's because he comes from fantastic stock. Well, we are also on the precipice of a wedding that will take place in February of 2024. Yeah! Where God has continued to add to me sons. Men that I've imparted into along with other fathers in the faith. And is also building the line of righteous offspring. What I affectionately like to call Shane is the Shane train. Cuckoo! That's exactly what it says. Cuckoo! All aboard. That's not to mention some prospects in the future. I'm not talking about gold diggers either. I am looking forward to years, decades, of getting to know, I don't know, a guy named Michael Spence. <laughs> Sitting right there next to Sydney. Hello. And you better we'll behave, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows what even the further future may hold that may just slaughter the competition. Hey, Em, how you doing over there, babe? Caleb has quite the smile. Well, this goes well beyond just the physical realm. My, my daughters are treasures and gifts that are designed to be given to kings. Amen. And yet God has added a numerous amount of sons to me and my household. I don't know. How about men like Abimbola Daramola? Oh, yeah! Abin biceps. What about Justin Linton? Come on. Spencer McClain, give me Paul Rosales. Come on. Puma. See when I don't have anything to do. Timothy Carter, Gabe Stevens. Rob Barnett. Come on. Heralded as the most disciplined disciple in LCM. Most corrected. Also the best groomed, though. Yes. Uh, Groom, groomed. <laughs> speaking of fantastic beards, how about Andrew Tisdale? Oh. Nolan, the clean-shaved Hewitt. Babyface. Babyface. Assad Robinson. Oh, the lion! Bruh. You, know, you, you ought to hear that man pray. It will shake the heavens and the earth. Please do that. It while seems he's like Mufasa entered the room when he prays. I'm ready for, you know, Aslan to come from Narnia. Oh, and my Dominican friend from Puerto Rico, Marlon Sosa! Yeah, this year, if anybody is mad enough to want to chase me into a parking lot, see Marlon. 
Caleb Brown. Woo! JJ Moloch. Come on. Ibrahim. Come on. Justin Treister. Carlos Rueda. Oh, yeah. And Adam Cora. These are men that I can stand up and say that God has gifted to me and the men beside me as sons in the faith. Amen. That through the means of using the Torah to circumcise my own heart, pierce my own soul, direct my own strength, and guide my walk, God has added to me so much more than I could have ever dreamed of. I couldn't be more thankful for all you men that God has placed next to me. Amen. So, we're pastors, and every ministry could stand up and name everybody in their ministry. I want you to know that's not what just happened. What just happened is the men that are working to master the teachings that they've been given, taking it like old treasure and comparing new revelation to it to determine whether or not the new thing really is treasure, we're just named. They preach and teach in our church. They help lead everything that we do. And every week after every sermon, they interact with us about it and submit their thoughts and what the direction should. Do you know why? We are building their kingship so that they can build the kingship of others. That's, that's the whole point. The activities that we're talking about. Well, I get how it looks weird to the outside world. We want our daughters to marry people that have been raised to be kings under King Jesus. We, we want our sons to be worthy of other people's daughters because they are already fathers of a target. They know who they are. They know where they're going and what must be done for Jesus Christ. Well, that's on a, that's a personal level. But this is also happening between our churches for a reason. God is taking those of us who have taken the foundation seriously and he is binding us together to plant and accomplish works in new regions. This is the reunification of all of the churches. We've had our independent season and, and I get it. There were some, some good things that came from that. We, we, like all young households, learn some things we don't want to do again. <laughs> you know, it's like when I was 20, I couldn't believe how dumb my parents were. When I was 30, I couldn't believe how much they had grown. Yeah, there's a reason that things have been passed along to us in the way that they have. Uh, and we'll distinguish some of that later. We are not saying that our written works are scripture. We're not saying that at all. In fact, you're free to disagree with principles in it, just not the oaths that you take. <laughs> Amen. Are you guys ready for a new revelation from Judges chapter 12? In verse 9, Ibsan gave 30 daughters in marriage. This word gave has a much deeper significance that I want to share with you. The word gave in Hebrew is shalak. Now, if you're from Louisiana, you're probably thinking, shah, you lack something. But it's not. It has a meaning that is much deeper Buddha than Shabed. that. Hey, Sha, I'm going to share with you right now, Sha. It means it has five significance 
that pertain to what we're actually doing in the nations right now. The first one is this. It's to stretch out from nation to nation. Think in your mind, Italy and Romania. It means to extend into the nations, Italy and Romania. It means one to be sent into the nations. Say it with me, Italy and Romania. It also means to shoot forth as an arrow shot forth to aim at its target, the Balkan bow, Italy and Romania. It also means to sow our offspring in marriage to the nations, just like Ipsan. See, we are living in the times of Ipsan, and that requires us to work to strengthen the future by godly marriages locally, just like we've done with Julia and David. This has allowed us to bring in the nations locally first, which now will allow us to have an outward focus to the other nations internationally. Why? Because this is a much greater vision, a global vision. Because, as we have learned from the One Association of Churches, we are one family. Amen. We're one spirit, we're one body, we're one kingdom. We're doing this both spiritually and physically. To bring the nations inward and closer to the will of God and godly covenants within our association. This is what secures the work of the future generational ministries. You guys familiar with Isaiah chapter 55? We're not going to turn there. But this, this uh, well-known passage, it highlights something. It highlights how God's word is sent out. And the promise is that his word will not return back to him void. In fact, the word sent in Isaiah 55 is the same Hebrew word used for gave in Judges 12. The one that Buddy just shared on. This speaks to the investment that I make, that you make in daughters by continually sending his word into their hearts and trusting that it will not return void inside of them. This is then furthered by the giving of them to husbands who will locally build the kingdom. Then go on to expand it to international ministry and resulting in filling the earth with global accomplishments of God's will. This is the way that Ibzan did it. This is the way that I do it because it is the way that Abraham, the father of our faith, did it. In fact, Genesis 24 accounts for Abraham sending out his servant to find a bride for his son. Together, this couple would go on to strengthen the clan of Israel because it was a marriage between the same clans of the faith of Abraham. If we could take a look at Isaiah 49 and begin in verse 8 together. We're going slow and we're being a little repetitive. And is it okay if we don't work to entertain you? I think it's just important that we actually grasp what we're at so we don't end up with another t-shirt and, you know, don't make the playoffs next year. Isaiah 49.8, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, 
I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate inheritance. Hey, have you been saved? Have you been saved? Have you been helped? Have you been kept? All of that was so that you could be given as a covenant to other people. Come on. Say, no, no, no. That was Jesus. You're right, and you are the body of Jesus, and you extend that covenant through your actions to other people. When we learn to perfect our covenant of marriage, when you got a marriage like Charlie and Joe, When you got a marriage like Mark and Brenda Morrison, then out of that covenant, something can be given to other people. You can teach them faithfulness to the covenant. You can show them through example. You can father them towards that target. When you have a covenant of team unity, when you have locked together with someone, said, so we're going to fight sometimes. We're going to get mad sometimes. What we will never do is break apart unless someone apostatizes. That kind of covenant faithfulness can be given to other people. You say, how do you do that? You display it. You encourage it. You cultivate it. You father it to that target. You're sitting in the results of that kind of behavior right now. And yet, we have to deal with an issue. Many are like, well, you know, yeah, I'm kind of in a team, I think. I mean, I'm not really sure. If you're not sure, that's okay. Don't take an oath. But if you have settled it with an oath, that settles it forever. Otherwise, you renegotiate your commitment at every difficult time, and you will be just as volatile and just as unproductive as all of the other men, uh, as many people have been. Let's go to Isaiah 49:16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. It's hard to believe that that's written 700 years before the crucifixion. Your walls are ever before me. Your sons hasten back, and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your sons come and gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares, where you at, Jeff? Yehovah. Carlos Rueda? Yeah, Yehovah. As surely as I live, declares Jehovah, you will wear them all as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. Do you know what your crown is? Your crown is the ability to sacrifice in the present for the future kings. And there will come a day when you will wear them like a crown or like a bride wears ornaments on her wedding day. Have you read the book of Revelation? Do you know what Revelation 19 is? Where the wedding 
feast of the Lamb has come. And the bride is adorned in something. It's the righteous deeds that he gave his church to do. Sometimes Christianity is drifted into such selfish things. You know, I just want to feel. I just want to soak. I just want to go see a psychologist. Where's the one that says, I want to work for you. I, I want to accomplish what you want. I don't care. what You engrave me on the palms of your hands so I will bleed if that's what it takes. I will die if that's what it takes. I want what you want, your inheritance is the nation's. Where is that? Whether sons or daughters, they're being raised and cultivated in the foundational stones of the one association. And the lifestyle of ministry that those foundational stones are meant to cultivate. This is going to strengthen our alliances. It's going to secure the future work. It's going to cause us to inherit for Jesus Christ new regions of the world. I'm not going to lie. When I sit in a room with Pastor Massey and Judah and Nick and Peyton, I'm both amazed at what God has done and I... I feel like I'm standing with men that cast a giant shadow. That's the goal. I mean, that's the goal. But we're not going to just lift them up and say, you know, they're our best. They are. We're going to realize that flawed, ordinary men that really devote themselves to the principles laid out in the word and become fathers of a target in the times of Ensign can produce men that are better than themselves. And that if we do that in every generation, we don't decrease, we increase. Italy and Romania are on the edge of the Aswan region that the Lord showed me all of those years ago. We haven't changed the target. We've taken an honest height assessment and said, we're not quite as big as we hope to be at this point. We don't get to go straight into the heart of the beast. We don't get to rush ahead in instant gratification to the target that we saw. We actually have to start on the edge and grow into this through the generation. Can you appreciate how hard that is for us? Do I look like the kind of man that wants to sit around and wait another decade to do something that I feel like the Lord said to do 10 years ago? Because that's part of realizing the target. The target was never about what the Lord told you. It's about what you're investing into people and you were supposed to see the direction they had. We're going to take the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem. But it starts right now. It starts in the Balkans. We've already started in South America. We've already started in Indonesia. We've already started in many states here. Now we're going to start in the Balkans. Our spiritual and physical sons and daughters, they're going to intermarry all over the place and let the critics criticize. Because in a couple decades, they'll all still be married. Where many of the people that like to criticize us have not even been faithful to their very first covenant. Our ministries will form one spirit, one body, and one kingdom as multi-church teams form and plant. See, we, we've learned something at LCM. We're, we're, you know us. We're 
knuckle-dragging, Bible-carrying barbarians. We've learned that as exciting as, as it sounds to charge the hill alone, we cannot continue to plant ministries without everybody else. We've been repudiated in the best of ways. We need one another. All of our future work depends upon our unity. And we're not going to be papal to get it. We're not going to issue dogmas. We're not, we're not going to have an official catechism. A lot of what you hear is going to be about foundation stones. Understand something. The only thing that we require of people in the one association are the first three oaths. And they're the first things that get attacked. And we'll talk about those in a minute. All of the rest, it would just be very, very wise for you to consider that the people who are teaching you were built by these things. None of them are inerrant. And we hope you improve, improve on them all. But you can't do that until you have learned what you've actually been given. Psalm 144 verse 12 is close to my heart. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Man, we want our sons to be strong and vibrant. And our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Four or five years ago, my eyes fell on Luke Ledesma. To be honest, I didn't have uh, any particular designs. It happens in the churches. I notice certain men that God is, he's drawing me to for a reason. Oscar at submission is very much that way. I can't pray for the church without thinking about the anointing in his eyes. You know, I could do that in every church, but this happened with Luke Ledesma. What does it mean to be a well-nurtured plant? I couldn't believe that this young man, all the way up in Illinois, was asking me questions about law dog. He wanted to know how to get marriage training, and he was single. He was interested, would I share my one note with him, with parent training? said, you know, Luke, I think you need singles training. He's like, fantastic. How do I get that? Will, will you share with me what, what you have on that? Then it was, look, I know that there's a book coming out, and I, and, I, and I get all of that, but how do I get the kind of discipleship training that I've been hearing about? Then it was ministry training one. And... And then it was like, hey, I heard there is, I heard that there's a ministry training too. And, well, we don't have that yet. How do I get that? At times, people made fun of him. Man, you're in this church. I don't know why you want to be so much like the other churches. That's got to die. It's what it means to be a well-nurtured plant. He was not disloyal to his ministry. It's the most honoring thing he could do to his ministry is glean from the other ministries. Amen. What does it mean to have a carved daughter 
that becomes a pillar in the house of God. I invite any of you. It's your wedding week, so wait till next week. I invite any of you. Ask Abby about the basic premise that caused the book Law Dog to be written. Ask her about any week of marriage training. Ask her about any principle in parent training. Ask her about any of the teachings in singles training. Pick a week of discipleship help open to it and ask her about it. Oh, you ready for this? She took ministry training one and two before most of the pastors in this room. We have been working on this since her birth. Amen. Now is the time to nurture our sons and prepare them for the task. Now is the time to carve and adorn our daughters to be pillars in the house of God. Amen. Eliam and the nations depends on this. Look, we have some extraordinary, exceptional men in here. Okay, I mean, the kind that are like, I just don't know how they do what they do. Gary leading worship today was one of them. We can either stand back and go, well, every once in a while, there's just a guy that's that anointed. Or we can nurture our sons and carve our daughters in the house of God. Our investment now will secure the success of the kingdom in the years to come. This is going to happen locally. It's going to happen internationally. And it is going to happen globally. Church, this type of investment into the future kings that are sitting among us right now, this is exactly what the pursuit of righteousness looks like. Turn with me to the prophet Isaiah, and let's see where this exactly comes from. We're going to be in chapter 51. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. Church, I want to take a minute to explore this quarry. I want to walk us through the significance of what this quarry that Isaiah 51 is speaking about. If we could put up the first slide that we have. This here is a rock quarry, an active rock quarry in Arequipa, Peru. It is 130 years old. And to this very day, it is still producing stones and foundational stones that are used throughout the city, which is why the city is called the White City. There are old buildings. There are new buildings. There are buildings in other nations that come from this rock quarry. Are you beginning to get this picture? Can we see the next slide? Here are the very stones that are being hewn and cut from this rock. Church, each and every one of you are one of these foundational stones that is being hewn and cut from this quarry. The next one, please. Here is a building in Arequipa. As you can see, it's an older building. 
but very much like the new buildings. And what I find found to be very interesting is this. As you're walking through the city, people stop. And for just a minute, their attention is drawn to the building. But the focus is not on the ornateness of the building or even the individual stones. The conversation shifts quickly to the foundation. It shifts quickly to this quarry. Every Peruvian in the country, every Peruvian abroad, when they see these places, they know exactly which quarry they have come from. Church, this is exactly what the One Association is. You have been cut from this rock. You have been hewn from this quarry right here. Do you identify as a foundational stone of this quarry, which is the One Association? Yes. While you're thinking about that, I want you to understand what's motivating us. Like, remember, you can't give to the One Association, so we're not trying to get into your pocketbook. You can only give to your local church. I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. That should be patently obvious to you. Here's what's at stake. 30, 40, 50 years from now, will the ministries and the people that have come forward look like the original. See, John and Charles Wesley would die all over again if they saw what has happened to the work that they started. William Booth would literally roll over in his grave if he saw what the Salvation Army had become. We are working to make sure that as this goes through a succession of generational future kings, we do not lose the basic core tenets that made us who we are. No matter what the size, shape, or, or function of the building is, a Peruvian from Buddy's Town can walk up and look and go, that stone came from that quarry. Even when they are 100 years apart, they can see the same characteristics. Pastor, there are many, many imitations, replicas, and false stones out there. But there is only one original quarry. And for us, it is the one association. Listen there, there are many that don't want to pay the cost. But I can assure you, the cost is worth paying. As we think about the fact that each and every one of you are an individual cut stone. If you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are a future king in this house, please stand up. And you are sure that no matter where the Lord places you, you will be identified from this quarry. The one thing that I do not like to see is this. There are far too many men still sitting in this room. If you are in this place today, you have been cut or you are being cut. You are being hewn from this quarry right here. 
and you belong to this quarry. So I'm going to ask each and every one of you men to stand up in faith that you belong to this quarry. Listen, you can paint it, you can cut it, you can put it in a different nation. You can try to disguise it. But it does not matter what you think you are. Our king is not concerned with what you think of yourself. The Lord has placed you in this place because you are from this rock quarry. It's time, men, that we rise up like future kings and we begin to put a foot on top of the fear of man, the fear of presence, the fear of insecurity, the fear of I don't measure up, the fear of I don't speak well enough. Men, you have been called to a higher standard. That standard is this rock. It is this quarry that you're being hewn from. The one association is a global rock quarry. Please have a seat. Let's go back to Isaiah 51, verse 2, because I want to show you that this is the rock that you have been hewn from. This time, let's look in the ESV, the Eric Stevens version. <laughs> verse 2 reads like this. You can disregard that one because that's not right. The ESV says it like this. Look to Eric, your father, and to Jennifer, who gave you birth. When I called Eric, he was only one man. But I blessed Eric and made him many. Church, I do not care what you believe or what you think, but you are here because of that rock quarry. You are here because of the one association in the Stevens quarry. Not one of us would stand alone without this rock quarry. Listen, the doors have been opened because it's hot in here. Not because of my preaching. But if you do not think you belong in this rock quarry, the doors are open and you're invited to leave. We want serious men of God in this place that are willing to stand up and fight for the next generation. As we, uh, as we move to 2 Kings... Let's have a small clarification. I was not blessed to give birth to Mike McClellan. Okay. Uh, we've had some role in the formation of men of God's lives that have affected other lives, and we're thankful for that. But I believe what Pastor Brasso is helping us to understand is we all come from somewhere, and there's a reason that God invested certain things in us, and we're supposed to retain those characteristics. If it is against the word of God, we throw it out. The word yeah. is everything. But I promise our three oaths are not only not against the word of God, they're the very things that will be challenged in your life as you attempt to do things for the Lord. Amen. That's why they're there. And we'll go over those in a minute. Um, my greatest hope, those of you close to us know this. We don't want the Stevens name to be remembered at all. At all. 
That's, that's, that's why we don't put authors and stuff on books. and all. Our goal is to get several generations down, the stones be even better than where they started, much better, yeah. and all you know is that they came out of the rock quarry of Jesus Christ in the Abrahamic faith. But, but, we do have to acknowledge that our own need, our own insecurity that requires us to express teenage individuality. Like, I don't know, I just, I want to do it this way. Could be sacrificing our future kings. Why would we not rely on what produced us first? And then see if we can improve it. But the tendency is to go, oh, well, that was given to me, so it's not that important. I need to, I need to figure out my own. This is why Protestants, I get it. We broke away from something and we needed to, but we've never stopped breaking away. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem, okay? Orthodoxy was meant to protect orthopraxy, and we're still, we're still establishing ours. Uh, none of the written works in the one association were meant to do anything other than encourage your own study of the Word. All of them can be improved. But until you have written yours and they have been tested for a decade, perhaps we could use the ones we have. Yeah. Hey, maybe we can go to 2 Kings because we've been up here an hour. Everyone turn to 2 Kings chapter 11. And as you're turning, say future kings. You know what you're learning this morning is a redefinition of something culturally that we know so well. We're going to put it on better footing. You're getting a true biblical understanding of what it means to be chiseled as a rock cut out of the quarry. So 2 Kings 11, verse 1. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Yehoshiva, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Isaiah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her for six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. So Ari told you earlier that I did not have any physical sons. But I have made it my job to take in those who were orphaned by their father yes. and make them my own by yes. imparting to them my way of life in Torah. Sometimes the problem is not Athaliah, but men who have taken in orphaned sons and do not know what to do with them. I have made it my life's goal to take in both the men who have taken in orphan sons and the sons to continue to teach them the Torah. I get a special kick out of stealing sons away from homes that would kill them. I mean, homes that would kill their calling, kill their work for God, kill their productivity. I'm unashamedly after sons that are being raised in homes like that. And I will hide them in my own home. And then I will hide them in the house of God. 
I'm talking about sons like Timothy Carter. Wanted to do something for God, wanted to be faithful, wanted to follow. And for whatever reason, perhaps some toxic independence, the people who were raising didn't want any part of that. So we brought him into our house, having no idea that he would then marry one of our pastor's daughters. In hindsight, it doesn't seem like a good idea to bring somebody into your house that's going to marry one of your daughters. (laughs) But we didn't know. (laughs) And they were holy. And they were pure. And that particular eclipse didn't happen until after they were married. Look, we've done the same thing with many other sons. If you're a parent out there and you're like, Eric's after my son, yeah, I am. But I want you to get this. The most exciting ones are when the parents see what has happened in the sons and they repent and they come and join us. That's how you make a rock quarry. You show them what their own sons are capable of if you speak the word of faith in them. Pastor Massey, Pastor Slaughter, Pastor Allen, Elder Ben. They did this for guys like Luke, Shane, and Brian who grew up in youth groups in a little different rock quarry. But they saw something in a man's life that they wanted to follow, and they followed him as he got right and came and joined a better version. Hey, let's pick up in verse 4. But the seventh year, but in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites. Those are those Gentile security forces. Makes me think of men like Itai. I don't know. I really loved that. Like, in another lifetime, I would have wanted with all of my heart to be a Karaite. Now I'm getting old. We'll just be a teacher. <laughs> Captains of the Karaites and of the guards, and had them come to him in the house of the Lord, and he made a covenant with them. Yeah. And, somebody say, and, and. put them under oath. Why? Why the covenant and the oath? Because he knows you people. When you want to make something unchangeable, we need two kinds of witnesses in our life. It's not enough just to ascend to a principle. you got to put it out there public. Why do we take marriage vows? Why do you do it publicly? Because the human heart is fickle. I've noticed that people get married in the church before God, but then they get divorced in private. Listen, if you're contemplating divorce, here's how you should do it. Go back and look at all the people that attended your wedding and invite every one of them to the courthouse. Look them all in the eye and say, I want you to know I am breaking my vow before God and before you. I've never seen a divorce happen that way. I want to talk to you about the importance of our oaths. Can we put the first three? Oh, they're there. 
Having tasted of the age to come, I will never fail to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestations of his gifts. Why is that oath there? Because our biggest temptation over time, degree by degree, is to not boldly advocate for things that are radically supernatural. The best of us is put in situations where our courage fails. Put in situations where what we know is true is being eroded. I wrote that while I was standing in a ministry. And it was the very first problem that I identified. They had become intellectual. I believe in scholarship of the word. If you want to play Bible trivia, I'll do it. But... All of that is relatively meaningless and is in the mind of a man if we are not boldly advocating for and expecting the move of the Holy Spirit. I've seen what happens to ministries that lose this. Have you ever wondered how what started at Azusa Street has become what it is today? Because in a few generations, the men that are standing in the pulpit look nothing like the men that had the original experience. The second oath, having been adopted into the holy family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. Why is this our oath? Because after you got your salvation, after you felt him keep you, after you felt him protect you and bless you, slowly, if you're not careful, it becomes about you. What we are oathing towards is to keep God's objective his objective is every nation I love that yeah like it's so easy yeah I I read Revelation 5 9 read Revelation 7 2 I I, I got it Uh, yeah but does your life show it this oath is to publicly commit you to this so that you would be ashamed to back up from it you were committed to it The moment you got born again. But just like people got married and didn't understand what they were getting into and had to be taught from the word of God what they were already committed to, I didn't create these oaths. They're in the word. Three, I will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. Why is that the case? Because if the word says something as specific as I do not permit a woman to teach or, somebody say or, Or. have authority over a man. And every Protestant church stood on that principle from the time of the Reformation until the year 1900. But during the women's suffrage movement, every one of the churches began to bend that a little bit. Everyone began to include something that it was a little different. Why? They were being bribed and seduced and intimidated by the culture around them away from what is plainly written. What do you think is going to happen in another decade with the homosexual agenda? Or with love for Israel? Or so many other issues? These oaths are to remind us of the seriousness of drift from these principles. If it was disturbing to you that I quoted Paul speaking to Timothy, I'll explain it afterwards later. There's many amazing things that women do. They, they disciple. 
other women. They teach other women. They help raise younglings that are not yet men. They can be Jehoshiba until somebody's between 6 and 13. Let's talk your reducible minimums quickly. I want, and I'm asking, by the way, those first three oaths, look, can we go back to those? Do you realize those are, those are the only thing that we ask of the one association? Say, hey, man, what's your stance on rapture? Like, I don't think there is one. Well, I'm mid-trip. Cool. We're great friends. Be a one association pastor. We, we don't have doctrines that we require anyone to believe other than what is plainly written in the word based on those three oaths. You show me any other organization that works that way. Because we believe that we can wrestle through these and that God is glorified in the expression of, hey, you're mid-trib, I, I think there's no rapture, and, and he's pre-trib, and we love each other, and we will not break apart, and we're spirit-filled, and we are highly evangelical, and we will do what this word says. Let's figure it out. But when people cannot even agree to these three oaths, we don't work with them. All of you who want to be sent out, I want you to get that. Without solidifying those three things, it's not happening from here. Now, if you're hearing that and you think, I don't think I belong here. No, man, you just haven't been chiseled out of the quarry enough. That's all. We're here to help you define these lines. We're here and we'll be patient with you as you work them out. We see value in you, which is why we've dedicated three decades of our life to creating this. Irreducible minimums. This is what we're saying teams should look like. I'm not saying that every man in here experiences this with every other man. We're saying that among our churches, as we interact with each other, as the pastors interact, that's who this was written for. But your sheep following your pastor's example and way of life. I want and I'm asking for encouragement, correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. According to the word of God from my friends and peers, this will equip. Do you know why that is there? Because I've seen what happens when a pastor becomes uncorrectable. I've seen what happens when a pastor says, unless you've been where I've been, done what I've done, and had the experience I have, then who are you to correct me? I've seen what happens to that. It's death. It kills the future kings by perverting the kingship into something that looks like Saul. That's why that's there. The sun will not set upon unbiblical behavior. This sets our time frame regardless of feeling or situation. I will take biblical action upon notice. This is there because one of the ways that pastors are often uncorrectable is to go, that's cool, man. I'll pray about that. I'll, I'll think about that. Then a week goes by. A month goes by, and suddenly you're not getting returned phone calls. That's why it's there because Ephesians 4, 25, 32 says it. But the reason we enumerated it is because we are working to protect the future kings. I have proven to my brothers, and my brothers have proven to me that we have each other's best interests in mind, and we will place our brothers' needs above our own. I will sacrifice my thoughts, emotions, 
and opinions to implement the Word's instruction for our good. This was written for pastors leading ministries regarding their team, each other, and the other teams within the one association. Why is that so important? Have you never been fully convinced and yet found out you were fully wrong? How will you know if you're deceived? How will you know if you're wrong? God put brothers around you that you said you trusted and you entered into covenant with. And if they are in unity and they say, hey, there's a problem here. We want there to be an oath up front that you took that said, in the event I've lost my mind, I can open the front page of my Bible and say, Pastor Slaughter and Pastor Massey and Pastor Wade and Pastor Brent, come and say this to me. I've already decided in advance. My thoughts and emotions don't matter. A promise made to the group was a vow, a pledge before my God, and therefore it is not optional, and it cannot be renegotiated or annulled. My word is my bond. It can be trusted. It is as if it were in writing. In other words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because I've seen what happens when ministers make the terrible mistake of saying something like, Eli, I'll support you for life. I'm with you, Eli. You need it. I'm there. Here's the amount of money. And six months later, act like they didn't say it. I've seen what happens to the work of God when men do not keep their biblical commitment to let their promises be covenant promises. Jesus rebuked the idea that there was a varying level of promise that you could make. I swear by the temple. No, no, I I didn't swear by the temple. I swore by the altar. Well, not the altar, just the gold on the altar. God doesn't want that. He wants you to determine his will and commit to it and not renegotiate it when it's difficult. I want you to understand the irreducible minimums were not for you. They were for your pastors, but you're imitating their way of life and you are learning to do it. Righteousness is all that matters. Therefore, when training in righteousness is needed, it is good, spiritual, and restorative. I have surrendered my life, responsibilities, and ambition to the Lord and this group. When it is deemed necessary to step down from an activity or position for a specified time period, I will accept my training in righteousness for restoration. Why is that there? Because Ezekiel displays several kinds of priesthood. And one was tainted enough that God said, you cannot minister to me. Only one could minister to the Lord himself in the holy places. I didn't want there to be different kinds of ministers. And I have personally been involved in dozens of situations where the pastor was in sin. He had a team, a team that said, you're in sin. And he said, shut up, don't tell me what to do. You are not on my level. I, I know what's right and you don't. And the congregation doesn't know it. The congregation never knows it. And slowly those team members find themselves blessed with the left foot of fellowship somewhere else. They have to move on. And the congregation never knows that the reason they are not prospering is there was a man that could not surrender his ambitions to the Lord and a team. 
and did not really think righteousness is all that matters. I said, man, that's a sad story. It is a common story. I've traveled around the world and done this in different nations everywhere. That's why that oath is there. Your pastors are fully committed to this. I think you should consider that this is the rock quarry you're being cut out of. To let you know how important these O's and irreducible minimums are, I just want to ask a question. By the raising of the hand, who in this room wants faithfulness to be shown to you? Consistently. You put your hand down. These O's and irreducible minimums I have watched over the span of more than a decade and personally experienced myself, seen the fruit of how they preserve, how they preserve life, how they preserve teams, how they preserve ministries. They're there as an anchor for when people lose their mind. And you go back to what has been established in the Word. Did you notice there's a scripture with each one of those? The scripture is the foundation for what was declared and enumerated in each one of them. And when you are holding to these, being faithful, faithful to God and faithful to your brothers and sisters on your left and right, you will reap the reward of righteous fruit from them. And not only preserve your life, but preserve the team that you're part of. You enable there to be life in the joining and unification of ministries. And more importantly, you will ensure the prosperity, growth, and righteous endeavors of our future kings. Church, turn with me with, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 11, and let's pick up in verse 11. It says... And the guard stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son. He put a crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! What'd they say? Long live the king! Right now, if I could, let's have the One Association Europe team please stand. Long live our future kings. Truly, these are our future kings, aren't they? Aren't they, church? You know, they are. Actually, would y'all come up here on this stage for a minute? Just stand right here. They are. Peyton, come on over here. And at the same time, they're very much not. Do we have their sons? Come up here. Come on, son. Come on, son.
The truth is that the point is never about the next generation alone. It is about the succession of the kings. That is the point. It's been such a monumental leap to start thinking about the next generation that we could make the terrible mistake of thinking that the next generation was the point. It's not. It's an unending succession of Davidic kings. That is the point. It is these little ones that are our future kings. I want you to understand something. When I see Sir Nicholas here, or Master Lucius, or Pastor Finn, as impressive as I think their daddy is, and my God, is he an impressive man. I'm expecting much better things from them. And when we're in a park in Italy, and I watch them run up and witness to somebody, and I was thinking and talking to their daddy about, we need to get something to eat, like, but that's not what they were thinking about. We got a good start. When I look at Barzillai and Bethlehem, they're already carbon copies of their daddy. That's right. Hannah, it doesn't look like you had anything to do with it. And I think about all that God invested in that man, and they will have it in spades. That is the point. And we must never let them think that they're the end of the succession. Yeah. I happen to know this little Ezra right here. And his, his namesake is right. That little man carries scripture cards and a Bible with him everywhere. If you say, Ezra, are you a little boy? He'll look at you and say, no, I'm a man. <laughs> and his little brother, Elisha, is coming up right behind. These are our future kings. I would tell you that I'm about to talk about my grandsons, except I've been talking about my sons and grandsons the entire time. We have to change our thinking. Titus and Benaiah and Yoshev and Jehu, every single night, these other men lay their hands on their heads, not just their daddy, the other men, and they call them the kingly sons. They prophesy and they pray. This is the point. But how do we get to this? Well, it started a long time ago with unwavering conviction to what had to be invested in the men standing behind them. And we're now seeing it pay off in these guys. I want you to understand these little ones' lives are being committed right now to go to Italy, to go to Romania for the purpose of planting works that will launch into the Middle East. Uh, I don't know where Vicky is in this room, but Vicky understands the Middle East. Ibrahim understands the Middle East. I understand the Middle East. Can I tell you it's not Gatlinburg, Tennessee? Okay. There's some dangerous things walking around here. They're strangely shaped people with weird hair and androgynous. Yeah, well, let's leave that alone. But there's a different kind of dangerous thing going on in the Middle East. We're willing to risk them. I'm curious what it is you're willing to risk in the present to guarantee their future. 
Church, let's talk about support for these men. They have been hewn from this quarry. They've been scratched from this quarry, and they're ready to go. You've heard Pastor Eric say this endeavor is going to require us to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to relocate the Stevens, the Eregenas, the Parsons, and the Masseys, all as one group to the Balkans. The Lord will help us do this because he wants it done. His will will prevail. Now is the time for the mutual sacrifice of us all. We can no longer rely on just the offerings of just a few. In eternity, you will want to have contributed to this endeavor because you will be standing next to men and women who were saved because of their efforts. I can say personally that the one association has helped me and my family get to Peru. And to this very day, they are still continuing to help us. They have been faithful in the endeavor. However, at this moment, I can't think about it anymore other than the fact to pray to say that, God, will you encourage this quarry to support these little ones that are truly our future kings? They will see and do things that we have only dreamed about. And you have a chance to help fund that work. Now is the time for you to take action and do that. And how will you do that? You will do it by giving through your local church quarry. Don't do it at the expense of your tithing. But instead, however, do it in addition to your tithing. That deed will follow you into eternity. I know what it is like to have people waiting for you in another nation. I know what it's like to have others depending on you in another nation. This should be pressing your heart that there are already families in the Balkans waiting on these men to arrive. They need these men. They need what these men have. Church, think about it. You already have many things that have been given to you from your local quarry and from this quarry, the one association. Consider funding this expansion so that people in Italy and Romania do not have to wait to receive the kind of things that you already have been given. Listen, we need to send these men, and we need to do it urgently. We need to do it in the spring of 2024. Future kings, please return to your seats. You guys hear this sense of urgency? If we don't send these men, our families that are part in the, fam in the family of faith that are in Italy and Romania will not receive what you have abundantly been lavish with. So I get it. Look, some of you have money, but no sons. What do I do? You send your money now. It's that easy. And you raise up some sons. Come on! All right, let's go flip side. Some of you have sons, but not the much of money. So what do you do? You prepare and send your sons. Then you pray for the privilege of sending money as well. Yes. 
We need your sons, but we also need you to fund the work of the greatest expansion of the gospel in our community's history. So we're going to do something here as we begin to narrow to a close. We're going to reread verses 11 and 12 of 2 Kings 11. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and they said, Long live the king! So here's the, the real direction. How we can prepare and launch our future kings is seen in this passage. Because in this passage, there are seven things that happen that we must do right now. We're going to start with number one. Everybody say one. 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 Guards stand with weapons in their hand. We are to be men armed with the spirit and the word. Stand guard and watch over our house, which is a rock quarry, because this is where our future kings come from. After we stand guard with weapons in our hand comes number two, and it is so important. Put a crown on them. This means you need to see what they will become. You have to focus on the crown that God designed for them instead of their present lack of ability to carry it. You have to see what they're going to become and declare it. You have to put a crown on them. They're not yet developed. But that's your job, father of a target. That's your job, Ibsen, Jehoshiba, or if you're a woman, I'm sorry, Jehoiad, or if you're a woman, Jehoshiba. We shouldn't be pastoring people that we don't want to crown. We shouldn't be discipling people that we don't want to crown. And if you got a son in your house that you don't want to crown, I'll steal him. Once the guards stand with weapons in their hand, and then we put the crown upon them, number three is we give them the ark of the testimony that you have learned to carry in the one association. This means the same importation of the word and moving of the spirit that you yourself have received. Number four, proclaim them as kings in all your speech. Mean that you're going to speak to their future and declare what they are becoming. And this is exactly how you are to do it. Do this publicly and by demonstrating full measures of faith of what they're going to become. When you think about number four, proclaiming them kings in all of your speech, this is not a private inward thing. If you won't say outwardly what they will become in front of other people, how are they to believe that you believe it? Valentin's going to make a great husband. And in addition to being a fantastic electrician, he's going to work for the Lord his whole life. You do it publicly. Commit yourself to the position. Commit them to the position so that when it's in question, they can remember that in front of many witnesses, something was imparted to them. 
Guards stand with weapons. We put crowns on them. We give them the ark of the testimony that we have been carrying. We proclaim them kings in all of our speech. You ready for it? Number five, we anoint them. You have to smear them with supernatural empowerment. How do I do that? You do that through the ministry of the word and through opportunity to let them minister at your side at every turn. So, well, the thing is, is I don't get on the stage very much. This is the least area of ministry activity you will ever find. Take them with you to Walmart. Be anointed. Father, smear me with your presence. I want to do more than just buy bread. Give me supernatural bread. Help me reach into the armory of old. I want David's sword, the word of God. I want the supernatural bread from the house of Nob. And I want this king to do it with me. What is our mission in Walmart here? Can I tell you that these kings were not shaped on a stage? The reason we talk about our garage years so much is they were so insignificant. But I took my sons with me everywhere and ministered everywhere that I went. That smears them with the anointing. Can you tell that Judah and I are a little bit alike? He's just a better version. Can you tell that Nick Arizina and I are a lot alike? He's just a taller version. Can you tell that Peyton and I are a lot alike? He's just good looking. And when I grow up, I want to be Nick Massey. But we smear the anointing. We smear the anointing on them through joint activities in the Word of God. Number six. The text said they clapped their hands. Which is interesting because every man had weapons in their hands. This means that our future kings need to see us rejoicing in the ancient weaponry that is being used to guard and to protect them. They should see your example and long to possess the same weapons joyously. Well, what it does for us as future kings, when men have got around us joyously, joyously combine those weapons and celebrate what God is doing. So when you have guards that stand with weapons in their hand, putting the crown on them, giving them the ark of the testimony, proclaiming them kings in all your speech, anointing them, and clapping your hands with weapons, we come to the seventh one. And that is long live the king. This is declaring that their calling is alive while being developed. You know what I personally experienced? sitting in Nick Aragina's first apartment near downtown Houston, having dinner with he, uh, him, he and his soon-to-be wife. And there, on the mantle above his fireplace, was an old-world map of the Black Sea. And then he shared his vision of what God told him that God was going to accomplish around the Black Sea. You know, from that point forward, what we have been doing as men raising up future kings We've been saying, long live the king, Nick Aragina. That calling is alive. 
It is not dead. It is not deterred. God has spoken it, and therefore it will be established. You know what that does for a man who is trying to find his feet in faith, knowing that he will step forward? It gives him all the confidence in the world to hear you say, long live the king. And when the day of ordination or the implementation of a step in their calling comes, here's what you do. You rally everybody you know around them, and together you shout, long live our future kings. Say that with me. Long live our future kings. So that you understand. We know they have a crown. We know they have to be developed in it. But we're going to talk about it and commit it to it publicly. And when the day comes for a new step of implementation, you rally everyone that you know. <laughs> and you proclaim it. This is what it means to be a father of a target. This is what it means for all of your ambitions to be about the succession of future kings instead of about you or your accomplishments. All of our talk about a rock quarry is not to glorify the one association in any way. It is to make glorious what comes from it. I want to put a, oh, there is a slide. We come to a place where we're going to close. I mean, actually close. Like for real. I want you to ask yourself in a very honest way, because we're going to stand up and, Gary, will you help us worship some? We're not going to worship all day. You're hungry. I get that. But this is important. You need to ask yourself when you're looking at these seven. Let's start with the first one. Have you actually taken the time to have the ancient weapons in your hand? Are they dusty on a shelf somewhere? A class you vaguely remember three years ago. Do you have a marriage counseling notebook that was a keepsake that you haven't opened yet this year? You have to have weapons in your hand to guard the future kings. There are people in this room that need to experience a genuine, real moment of repentance for not valuing ancient weaponry. Put a crown on them. Have your own thoughts been more influenced by the lack that you see in somebody that's being raised up than what God says they'll become? I stood on this very stage a few years ago and quite literally stripped myself bare trying to repent of that. It is so easy to appraise somebody accurately and critically and have ruled out what God wants to do. Fathers of a target have to be able to put crowns on the sons and spiritual sons that they raise up. It means you have to look at a molten layer of mess and go, God, I know what you're going to form it into. And it's a privilege that you've given me a role in this. You need to repent in your thoughts about your teammates and those that you are supposed to raise up. Let me just say I know that many of you do. 
Give them the ark of the testimony. Is your testimony 30 years old about something that happened somewhere else? What kind of testimony is that for them? You know, back in the 80s, we really had something going on. Really? How'd you get here? Where is it? Oh, well, they didn't raise up future kings. Well, we're in the raising up future kings business, so how about you carry our testimony? Proclaim them kings in all of your speech. You know, this is the basic Abigail speech tendency. We need to verbalize with our mouth to them and to others what they'll become. Has your speech failed to show faith in what they will become? Anoint them. Do you think an anointing is just something that falls from heaven on someone? You probably do. Of course, men like David were anointed by Samuel. Not just the oil put on his head, the years he spent with him. So that David could receive the plans for the temple that Solomon would build. And of course, Solomon went and got them from his father's quarry, stones. <laughs> anoint them. To anoint others, they have to be involved in your life. You cannot disciple from a distance, and you cannot give them what you yourself don't have. So you might need to ask God to smear you with his presence again and renew your commitment to daily interaction with other human beings. In other words, you need to stop being so selfish. I'm always amazed at people that want to meet with me. I wouldn't want to meet with me, but they do. Like, hey, when you're in town, please. And I say, sure, how about Tuesday at 2? Now I got something going on. Guys, do not sacrifice our future kings because you will not sacrifice presently right now. To anoint somebody costs you something. It costs your time. It costs your itinerary. It costs your convenience. It costs you your reputation. Clap their hands holding weapon. Do you treat the work of God as drudgery? I have to do this because Jesus said so. Or are the weapons in your hands clapping joyously as you do the work of God? Am I the only one in this room that out of commitment does what the Lord told me to do, but often defiles that offering because I do not do it with the attitude he told me to do it? Then perhaps I won't be the only one at this altar or the altar of your seats. Long live the king. How can you tell me that you are going to rally around future sons that you raise up, future sons that will that will be the future kings in new regions, and you'll gather everybody you know, and you will shout, long live the king, and you'll give your all to get them there if you won't do it with these sons now. See, today, we send these sons. In the years to come, we send your sons. What if the Lord is watching right now? See, I can't endanger my my children's future for yours. What if the only way you can protect their future is to care as much about these sons as you do your own? 
Would you stand to your feet? There's 700 people in here. I don't think we need to rush to an altar. Why don't we do this? Why don't we worship through a song or two? And you ask the Lord, let's not put worship lyrics on the screen, okay? Leave that. Sorry. You can sing in tongues if you don't know the words. You stare at that and ask the Lord to show you what you must do. And if it is just an adjustment in your heart, I'm going to tell you that's not far enough. Express it in your actions. If you have not rightly seen somebody's calling, go tell them what you should have told them in the past. If you've not rightly rallied people around the calling of other sons, do it now. Wherever the Lord spoke to you, take action that you will be proud of in eternity. Get out of the idea that it's between you and the Lord, and if you just make an adjustment internally in your heart, that everything will be okay. That, that's a lie. Faith is expressed through action. It's a lie that just your internal inclination needs to be adjusted. If it stays internal, how will you know if it was adjusted? Commitments that are made internally and private between you and the Lord are easily walked away from because they were internally and private. How about you proclaim to someone the adjustment that you made? Especially if it's hard for you to do it.